Let us pray. Almighty God, You have spoken to us through Your Son. Let Your written Word now be spoken and heard by each of us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand, that we may not refuse Your calling or ignore Your voice. May we all be taught by You through Your powerful Word. Bring our every thought captive to obeying Christ, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And so we are continuing um, in this, uh, morning, Monday, this Sunday morning series on discipleship. And the lesson for today is from the Gospel of Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses 13 through 27. And I invite you now to listen to the word of God. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and did not do them, does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus talked quite extensively about discipleship in his nearly universally well-known Sermon on the Mount, and that is through um, starting in Matthew 5, verses 7. So that's a long amount of time to talk about discipleship. 
That sermon on the mount it concludes with a series of forceful warnings about some dangers to Christian discipleship. Those who heard him first were, as it says, astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. That is Matthew seven twenty-eight through 29. And the final climactic illustration is the parable of the wise and foolish builders in Matthew seven twenty-four through 27. And the story may have been based on an actual event. During the dry season in Israel, there are many different places where uh, in the hills surrounding Jerusalem and the Jordan River, where one would think would be favorable for building a house. And yet in the rainy season, when the rains came, one would find out that many of those locations could be easily undermined. And I think we all know that instinctively today. We want our houses to have good foundations. If they don't have that, they are at much danger of well, various things, various ways of collapse. But certainly... In a place like Israel, where they had such extremes, where most of the year was dry, but when it rained, it really rained, they had to be especially careful about that. But of course, while it may very well have happened in real time and real events, Jesus is also speaking symbolically, and his words have great meaning for us today. But before we even spend too much time on that, there are many different wonderful descriptions that we can consider as Jesus talks about dangers to discipleship. He starts out by warning against the easy way, the way perhaps of the crowd. And Jesus certainly had some issues with crowds in his ministry. There was a time when he was followed by huge crowds, but then, and they were very happy to accept his Food, In other words, when he provided food for the multitude, for thousands of people, just out of a few loaves and fishes. We all remember that, and they all appreciated that, of course. But then when he started preaching about spiritual things, so many of the crowd left him. And that may well have been in his mind when he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many. And the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And that's pretty self-explanatory. I think it's natural that we look for the easy way. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a bad thing necessarily in this sense. Um, Thinking if you want to drive to Pensacola, you don't look for a narrow dirt track that goes all the way. I don't know that there is one that goes all the way. But imagine that it did, and there was a narrow dirt track. And it was a real pain to have to drive on. And you had to stop all the time when you can go on Interstate 10 and be there before you know it. Uh, So that's good. But the problem is when people are seeking the easy answer spiritually, that's not good. Because the Christian life, although it has great rewards in the sense of having peace with God, the Christian life can be a very challenging life. I still remember something I heard Just a snippet on the radio, Billy Graham was speaking, was preaching, and he said very often that life becomes harder after you become a Christian because the devil is concentrating his efforts on you then. He wants to knock you off the narrow path and onto the wide path. So that brings me to the next point, which has to do with false prophets. 
There are false prophets, and they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And he goes on, of course, in a way that would have readily resonated with his listeners, because most people were involved in agriculture. He talks about how good trees produce good fruit and bad trees produce bad fruit. False prophets. What are false prophets? Well, it's not my... It's not my place and it's not my intention to cast, well, stones at any particular religious leader. And yet I think we all can discern who might be a false prophet. Uh, There are, sadly, ministers of the gospel or evangelists who take advantage of their congregations or their audiences. Um, They peddle various cures for diseases. They sell prosperity. There are many things they do that they will guarantee that will benefit you as long as you send them money of some kind. That is one way of looking at a false prophet or trying to understand a false prophet. Um, Then there are those who really are not corrupt in that way and they may have good intentions But if they preach a kind of easy gospel, a gospel where your life is not really expected to change, where God loves you the way you are and leaves you the way you are, I don't know if anybody's quite that explicit, but I think there is a tendency in the church in that direction as well. Um, That also is problematic. Anything that sounds of the easy way is suspect. That's how I would understand that. And sadly, these false prophets can do terrible damage to people. And we know that. There are so many tales of people who have lost all of their money because of false prophets. Um, There are people who have been abused in the church because of false prophets. It is a very sad thing. And again, you will recognize them by their fruits. And discernment is so incredibly important in this. Don't believe automatically what someone of faith says or a faith leader says. Because everything that any of us say, I mean, I'm speaking, I'm preaching. Everything that I say needs to be measured against the truth of scripture. And indeed, to paraphrase from the Barman Declaration in Germany that was uh, written in opposition to the Nazis, the authors of Barman said, if you find what we say is contrary to scripture, don't listen to us. And that's great advice. I think that any preacher should always tell the people, if you find what I am saying is contrary to scripture, don't listen to me. Now, I would hope that if I am speaking contrary to scripture, that it's unintentional and maybe I can be corrected on that. But nonetheless, the ultimate authority is not any particular religious leader has to be the word of God. And I think Jesus makes that very clear too. Pardon me. And then we move on to these very challenging words, starting in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many 
mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, it would seem that if people are prophesying in the name of God and casting out demons in the name of God, the name of Jesus Christ, that they've done mighty works in his name. I mean, why shouldn't they be accepted by God? And there is a mystery there. God knows the human heart. Everything Jesus is saying is connected with with the preceding verses. There are people who will seem to be great Christians. There are people who will seem to be great leaders in the church. There are people who will seem to be all of the things that are pleasing to God, and yet somehow they aren't. Somehow, in their hearts, they are not truly committed to Jesus Christ. It could be that in their hidden lives, their private lives, there is scandal. It could be that they are not living up to what they profess. Now, we have to be careful when judging that, because any Christian is not going to live up entirely to what he professes. We have to realize that. That's a very scary thing. As hard as we try to be good Christians, as much as we try to follow the will of God, there are always going to be areas where we fall short. Every Christian, to some extent, is a hypocrite. Now, that doesn't mean that what we believe is worthless. It doesn't mean that we're not saved. It just means that we have to always examine our hearts. We always have to examine our motivations. We always have to be self-critical in order to be true followers of Jesus Christ. And you know, we talked a little bit, I think we talked a little bit about that in our Sunday school class today, and Tommy did a wonderful job. Um, as an aside, you know, kudos to Tommy and also to Bill last week, who managed to make Leviticus interesting and enjoyable to talk about. So that's wonderful. But having said that, something we talked about today was how we have to constantly be confessing our sins because we're always piling up sins. And so if there is someone perhaps who seems to do good work in the name of God, who seems to be a good follower of Christ, and yet they never think that they have to confess their sins if they think they are beyond sin, then that is a problem. Those are the people who are in danger of having all of their works pronounced worthless because they do not approach the Lord with a truly contrite and humble heart. And that kind of attitude is, of course, another danger to discipleship. And then, of course, we have the well-known words of Jesus saying that everyone who, well, he talks about building the house on the rock. And we'll get back to that now. The house on the rock. When we think of the rock, what do we think of? Well, above all, we think of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is himself the rock. And so we build our ministry, we build our discipleship, we build our faith on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And I don't think there's anyone in the church who disagrees with that formally. But then how do we understand that? How do we apply that? What Jesus Christ are we building our rock on? I mean, what, are, what Jesus Christ are we building our faith on? Here's the thing. And again, this is a constant danger, and it is a constant reason why we need to examine ourselves and our motivations. Isn't it easy 
even if it starts inadvertently, isn't it easy to say that we follow Jesus Christ, but this is the Jesus Christ of our own thoughts, the Jesus who we would be comfortable with. And that happens so often. It is such a prevalent issue simply because we are fallible human beings. And as Calvin said, human beings are in their hearts basically a factory of idol makers. It is inevitable that we are tempted by idols. So even if we say we follow Jesus Christ, if we follow a Jesus who, well, what are some examples? If we follow a Jesus who has definite ideas about politics, whether that Jesus looks like a Democrat or a Republican, that's a symbol of idol. That's a symbol of idol making. That is a problem. And I think we're all, we all have opinions. I have opinions. Um, I very much hope that I don't mistake my opinions for what Jesus Christ really is and what he's about. So we all have to be aware of that. And it is a constant process. And so that is what I'm understanding Jesus to be talking about in all of these illustrations. The solid rock is Jesus Christ, as he is witness to in the scriptures. That is something else we need to be very aware of. And I've talked about coming back to the scriptures about how you should ignore me or any other preacher who is not preaching according to the word of God. Let me just say one thing, and I just want to put it in the right terms. That's why I'm pausing a bit. I've heard people say, the God I love or the God I worship would never do this or that. The problem is, this or that may be exactly what God is described as doing in the scriptures. That is a danger sign right there. Jesus Christ is not comfortable. God is certainly not comfortable. There are many things about God and many words of Jesus Christ that we will never fully understand. And yet we are called to understand as well as we can, but we are also called to have faith. And sometimes faith leads us in a direction that we would never go. And yet, because it is faith, which is the ultimate gift from God, we then go in the right direction. And so, brothers and sisters, let us, as we strive to grow in our discipleship, let us always be aware of how everything in discipleship is a gift of God and how it is not something that we create, how it is not something that depends on what we consider right or wrong, how it is something, however, that comes from God himself. And may we be prepared to be changed by what we hear and what we do in response to God's holy word. And so, brothers and sisters, I offer this to you in humility, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.